the industry. Its job is to control the narrative about black people. Yes, I'm saying that. I mean, there are a lot of great people in the business. There are a lot of great allies in the business. I'm not discounting that. But as we climb a little bit higher, the air might be getting a little rarer. Hello and welcome to Acting Up. I'm your host, Courtney Wills, Entertainment Director at The Grio. And this week, I am so excited to talk to some incredible guests. With the Grammys behind us and the Academy Awards just ahead of us, we've got music on the mind. And in particular, this feels like a year where music icons are really taking center stage, whether it's in film or on TV. And the Oscar nominations really reflected that. On Monday, the Academy unveiled their list of nominees for the 2021 Oscars. And I think there were some pretty big surprises, a few snubs. But all in all, I'm not really mad at the list. Chadwick Boseman became the first Black actor to receive a posthumous nod for his starring role in Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. And Viola Davis beat her own record, becoming the most nominated Black actress after securing a spot on the Best Actress nominees list for Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. A pleasant surprise was Andre Day in the same category for her portrayal of Billie Holiday in the United States versus Billie Holiday. And Judas and the Black Messiah showed up and showed out across the board. Daniel Kaluuya, who played Fred Hampton in the film, is nominated for Best Supporting Actor, alongside Lakeith Stanfield, who played the man who betrayed him, William O'Neill. The film also nabbed Best Original Screenplay and is up for Best Picture, marking the first time a Best Picture nomination was produced by an all-Black team. Leslie Odom Jr. got a nod for Best Supporting Actor for his turn as Sam Cooke in One Night in Miami, but Regina King failed to secure a nomination for Best Director for her directorial debut. We think Spike Lee got snubbed in a big way for The Five Bloods, which should have been nominated in several categories, but only managed to pick up one nomination. Delroy Lindo absolutely should have been on the list for Best Supporting Actor for his turn in that incredible Netflix film. And I also think that Shaka King deserved a nod for Best Director for Judas and the Black Messiah. We also have a lot to look forward to on the TV side of things with HBO rolling out their Tina Turner-focused project, Tina, later this month, and Nat Geo serving up the third season of their anthology series, Genius, this time Genius Aretha, where we'll take a deep look into the life of the incredible Aretha Franklin. I get to sit down with Courtney B. Vance, who has been serving up excellence on screen for decades. And his latest role is that of Aretha Franklin's father, C.L. Franklin, who was a pretty controversial character. Genius Aretha is the third season of Nat Geo's anthology series. This one is helmed by Susan Laurie Parks, and it is eight episodes that kicks off on March 21st and wraps up on Aretha Franklin's actual birthday. They're going to unroll two episodes a night. And so by the end of the four days, you'll see the whole project, get the whole story, and hopefully learn a thing or two about the Queen of Soul that you didn't know before. Now, before we get into it, here's a little spoiler alert. It's kind of weird to say spoiler alert for a project based on someone's actual life. But just in case, we don't want to spoil anything for those of you who want to be fully surprised when this project kicks off on Nat Geo on March 21st. 
wow, I watched Genius Aretha last night and I am still processing everything that I saw in this incredible project. And I have to say, going in, ever since I heard that this was happening, I wondered if it would really go there. And the second that I saw Susan Laurie Park's name, I kind of knew that it would be, I think, a really unique look at this icon of ours. And I thought that you did such an amazing job playing Aretha Franklin's father, C.L. Franklin. I thought it was an incredible performance. Thank you. I mean, Susan and I go back 30 years. The first theater piece she did was The Last Black Man in the Whole Entire World. And I was going to do that. She cast me in it, and we were all so excited. And then the six degrees of separation, every young Black actor in the world had auditioned for that back in the day. And it came down between three of us, and the person who was cast initially dropped out to go do something else. So it was between me and another young man at the time. I said, I chose to pull myself out of Susan's play in order to be in contention for that and oh. hurt her to her heart, me to my heart too. But I had to go all in with uh, with six and it worked out. So we're back together again. And of course, Anthony Hemingway, which we did People versus O.J. Simpson. So it was very exciting. And of course, I love Brian Glazer and Ron Howard. I saw their Pavarotti, the documentary. I just love them. And of course, Clive Davis. A real all-star team behind this project that is so interesting because I feel like we're in the year of iconic Black female singer movies. We've got Andre Day and Billie Holiday of the United States versus Billie Holiday making waves. We have this Aretha biopic. We have the Tina Turner film coming out on HBO, and we've got another Aretha Franklin project in the works. So it seems like a really great time to shine a light on the way that these musical icons really helped shape and influence the culture. And I thought that this project did a great job of that. But I also was nervous and relieved to see it tackle Aretha's life in a way that I don't think that we've really seen on screen. And that is the less glamorous parts of her and of her experience. And I wondered for you, taking on the role of C.L. Franklin, who is certainly a celebrated figure for so many reasons, and also one with a pretty dark underbelly. What were your first thoughts about tackling that aspect of his character? The first thing that I thought about, because I didn't know anything about CL. I was seven or eight back in the day when we lived on West Grand Boulevard, which is a mile and a half from the New Bethel Baptist Church there. I didn't know anything about him. So everything to me was upside. Everything to me was fun to let me explore this. All of those ladies that you mentioned, all of them, women, men, everybody had to deal with the world that wasn't about and for them at all. And still they rose. So for me, that's the main focus of these stories, the overcomingness of them all. And the question is whether or not the project will go into that, will delve into that. And so you actually get a sense of from which the characters came out of. Audrey Day or Billie Holiday, and Aretha Franklin and Tina Turner, they all had to overcome not only their men, but they had to overcome their black men, the world and the white world as a whole. Yeah. So there are always stories of overcoming. And CL, coming from the sharecropping, the Great Migration up, anybody during that time period saw the person being shot and hung and burned and dragged and little fingers taken as a souvenirs, strange fruit. And so he came up out of that. And of course, there was no psychologist or psychiatrist there to help these people through. And what do you feel? And that wasn't happening. So the people that had to deal with most of it, and of course, they're dealing with it today, were the children, the Black children, and the Black women. 
his daughter being a child in the story dealt with it at baby at 12, baby at 15, and still she overcame. And you would think she would come into town. She was so good. She could sing anything. She would pop and get her first hit like Nancy Wilson did Mm -hmm. a month or two or 60 days or so into her being in town. But it took her seven years. And still she overcame that. And the most of us have to deal with is what are you going to do when the cameras and the lights are not on you anymore and you just got to live your life? And that's the thing that she had to deal with, like everyone else has to deal with. What do you do when you're not on stage? I think that's why people will be enamored with this project, because we deal with it. We don't just deal with the glamour of her and her wonderful life. And she didn't have a wonderful life. She had a life. And that's why we celebrate her. So many of your roles, I think, throughout your career have done a really great job of highlighting our history and portraying who we are as people and who we have been and where we have been in so many different ways, whether it was Johnny Cochran or the character in Lovecraft Country, which is just another incredible example of a show that took a unique approach to kind of showing and relating not only what happened, but how it felt, how it must have felt or would have felt for our people at the time. And giving the bad and the ugly and the parts that we don't want to discuss is just as important as showing those triumphs and showing those wins. Your character in Aretha doesn't necessarily portray some of our civil rights leaders the way that we're used to seeing them. I was surprised to see Martin Luther King on a Saturday night get down where unsavory things are happening and yeah, drinking and smoking, you know, those things. At this time where there's a premium placed on authenticity, why is it important to convey the whole human when we're talking about these figures? We have Martin on a pedestal. We have Malcolm, Rosa, we've got Coretta. We know them on the pedestal. I think it's important eventually to talk about that they were human, that they had foibles, that they hurt, they had longings. For Nat Geo, I think I understand the next genius that would be explored would be Martin Luther King, which would be very interesting. It's important that we see that Aretha wasn't perfect. Her life wasn't perfect. Her, you know, from the very beginning, they ran the family out of Memphis because of something that CL had done and came to Detroit and set up camp and they put him up very well because they wanted him. And the congregation, they knew what CL had done, that the world was against them. So how are we going to hold our pastor who, yes, he messed up badly, but we know the world is against us. We let every person go that's done something because that's the thing that CL saw, because the clubs was right on the same block as the church. Mm-hmm. So people would leave the church at three, four, five in the morning and go change, take a shower, go right into church. And he had no problem with secular and Christian music. He had no problem with that. Because he knows it's from the same longing, the blues. He's not going to make the people choose because he knows they need it. They have nothing. I can't stress enough that we cannot judge the time frame from where we sit. Well, if we don't like something, we can get online and say, I don't like this. This is not fair. You couldn't do that back then. There was nowhere for black folks to go at all. But when they came to church, they were somebody. That's why the church was so important to the black community. And that's why the civil rights movement sprung out of it. So, yes, he was absolutely wrong in some of the things that he did, absolutely. But the world was wrong at that time. My grandmother, on her son's birth certificate, they asked how many stillbirths were had. And she had my father when she was 17. She had her first son when he was 15. On the birth certificate, they asked how many stillbirths, and she was 15. She had six stillbirths at 15. 
You do the math. They was messing around with her at nine. Man. That's just the world. It was messy. It was ugly. It was nasty. Straight, the migration was happening. Who knows what happened in the migration? Who knows what was going on? They didn't care about black people at that time. You killed them? They didn't care. Don't even get me started on that topic. Oh my gosh. So one scene in particular really stuck out to me in particular the way that you played it. Because for me, it was the moment when young Aretha, 12 years old, reveals that she thinks she's pregnant. And her grandmother tells you, her father, what is happening. And more than what you did do, I noticed what he didn't do. And he didn't say, who did this to you the way that she did. And he did not communicate being shocked and appalled either. He didn't seem surprised at all. And I wonder for you if that was a conscious choice because of the fact that it remains ambiguous and at least a well-documented rumor that he might have fathered that child. Because it was a rumor, we didn't touch it. We cannot touch that. All we know is that, as I say in the scene, that I did my best. But his mama knows that he falls short. She knows his frame. Mm-hmm. And she was so mad at him, she slaps him. But then she realizes, oh, my son, my son. Oh, I know you did the best you could. I know. I ask you not to take her, but there was extenuating circumstance. The mama was gone. And she knows all this. Aretha was in, was mute. She wouldn't talk for a year. And she's my muse. The only thing I know that I can get her on is that I know she wants to be a scar. So I said, baby, let's go sing. Let's go on the road. So I got her out of herself, but I didn't have enough in me to take care of her the way she should have been taken care of on the road. And whatever happened on the road at those houses, because you couldn't go to a hotel back then, and the R&B crowd was staying at the boarding houses, the gospel circuit crowd was staying at the boarding houses, and it was wild. It was a frenzy. And that was no place for a young girl to be. And who knows what happened? All we can know is that we were there. I guess the more direct question is, do you think that the way that you played that scene left it open to interpretation, that the film didn't necessarily take a stance saying he did not do that? You know I'm not going to touch that. I can't touch that because that's the movie, the show that we're doing, that we've done. That's the Mm -hmm. choice. If it's a rumor, it's an innuendo, we can't touch that. We chose to do the scene so that you actually see that he knows and his mama knows that he should have done better. What happened there, nobody knows. Got it. I think that the Aretha story is one that will resonate with people who are fans of hers and even young people who don't really have an understanding of the magnitude of her career and how groundbreaking it was for her to be in such control of her career to the extent that she was at that time. And I wondered for you, working with Cynthia, what do you think, that her portrayal of Aretha did to open up this new generation to this icon? I think that she absolutely served the purpose of who Aretha was. She had an enormous life to go from where she went to, she came from, of thinking that her life was going to be a wonderful coming downstairs in the middle of the night and play and sing because she was a genius in that she heard it one time, she could play it or sing it. So she couldn't read music, but she had it in her. Her mama put it in her. To go from that to a baby at 12, a baby at 15, struggling for seven years to try to find her voice and to get a hit, depressions and all of the things that she struggled with throughout her life, the deaths of her brothers and sisters one by one through cancer, and of course, the way her father went. The only place she could go to find solace was her music and her God. 
So thank God that she was raised in the church so that when she got to the end of her rope, she didn't get to the end of her hope and she knew where to go. So that's the blessing for me, for the people will be able to see that she struggled like we struggled, that she was no different, absolutely no different than we were. She had pain. The question is, what are you going to do about it? How are you going to handle it? And Cynthia, with Aretha, handled it. And uh, of course, she has a voice of God. She brought all of that to bear because we're a cast. We were a family. And it happened to me because it had to. And it wasn't just Cynthia making that happen, making Cynthia look good. All of the team around her and the team around the team around her and around all of us. And then we had to deal with the COVID situation. And the stopping the the shooting for five to six months and then picking it back up to do an episode and a half. So all of the challenges, we still rose. And I think that'll be evident when people see it on the screen. I think so, too. Absolutely. The other thing that I want to talk about are these numerous NAACP Image Awards nominations that you've racked up this year for a couple of different projects, but particularly Lovecraft Country, which again, I think was just one of the most impactful and innovative shows that I saw last year. Mm -hmm. I remember just hollering at the screen when your character went down, like, wait, what are you talking about? I was just thinking about how incredible this role is and this character is, and I can't wait to see what he does. And just like that, it took the main character out so much earlier than I anticipated. And yet, the role still played a part in episodes following that. What was it like to sit back and watch the impact that Lovecraft Country was having on the viewers once your character was a little bit out of it so early in the game? We didn't get a chance to read the subsequent scripts because Mm -hmm. everything was close. So I didn't know where the piece ultimately went. And to try to describe what it was was very hard to do anyway. Well, what is Lovecraft about? I knew that I was going to be leaving in the second episode and then come back in the seventh episode. But I got so caught up in the drama that Misha and team had put together. Every episode was tied in, but it was so different. The Korean episode, that ninth episode where Regina Taylor was burned up and my girl Journey was holding her hand. Yes. And the bombing, the planes, it was seminal television. It had taken television to a whole nother place. And my death was much like the HBO Game of Thrones introduced viewers to where a main character was killed off and you go, yeah, you know, takes your breath away. But their character goes out throughout the whole eight seasons in terms of people talking about them. So was it hard to leave? Yes, it was hard to leave. But I felt that I laid the foundation for a journey and Jonathan, their characters, to launch out into the deep and deal with this world, which was just a world unlike any other. Hats off to Misha and HBO. So good. When you have a project like that, where I would imagine you have to feel like this is really good, and then you see when it comes out the way that it's being received by the public, what happens when award season rolls around? And we know this one is just getting started, but... Lovecraft Country, to me, got snubbed for the Golden Globes. And I am just sitting here with white knuckles waiting to see what happens with Emmy noms. But as an actor of your caliber, who has won so many awards for incredible work and been a part of such incredible work, is there still an expectation or a hope that the work gets noticed in that way with award season? Or does it matter less as you proceed in your career? It always has to be about the work. 
when they know that you want it, they got you. I don't do it for that. If we're doing it for that, we're in trouble because most of the times we're not going to get it. Mm -hmm. Most of the times people are not going to embrace it. And so the victory is that it was embraced. This show that was about so many things and dealt head on with so many issues did not blink or flinch and force you, the viewer, to actually deal with it. That's the celebration. And that it needs to be a second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth season, much like Game of Thrones had. It needs to be that. We need to go on the journeys with the main character. We need to see people coming back because it is time traveling. So it was absolute seminal television. And we need to see it continue. We need to like the air that we breathe because it was like that. Courtney, thank you so much for your candor today. This was such a fantastic conversation. And thank you for consistently delivering performances that I think amplify the culture and really show what we're capable of representing and showing just true talent every single time. You're such a treasure and we're such big fans of yours at The Griot. Well, thank you for doing what you do. The questions that you ask are not your typical. So tell me about this person. Tell me about that. They're probing. That's not easy to do, to come up with questions that actually, ooh, wow, got to think on this one. <laughs> well, thank you. We certainly try, and we appreciate you, as always, and we'll certainly be rooting for you at the NAACP Image Awards. Before we talk to Susan Laurie Parks about Genius Aretha, take a listen to what Andre Day had to say about working with the writer on the United States versus Billie Holiday and how her writing made such an authentic portrayal of the late legendary singer. Talk to me about what it was like to have Susan Lord kind of at the helm of telling the story of this iconic Black woman of ours. You know, it was like you said, it was a relief, but it was also excitement. Well, once I agreed to do it, first I was very nervous. Just this idea that it was a Black woman telling a Black woman's story. That means there's not a more accurate lens or script-wise, you know, that you could tell this story through because she understands, right? She understands the inherent strength and the inherent trauma that comes with being a Black woman in America. Our time may have been different from Billie Holiday's, and obviously we haven't necessarily dealt with some of the things that she dealt with at the time. But And then again, we have, you know what I mean, to some degree. So it was a relief. And it was also exciting. And it was just like, yes, this is how these things should be told. This is going to be the most accurate depiction of this person's life because they've actually lived Billie Holiday's life. You know what I mean? I'm also speaking to Susan Laurie Parks, the incredible Pulitzer Prize winning writer, playwright, who not only helmed this Genius Aretha project for Nat Geo, but also wrote The United States versus Billie Holiday. So we're going to get into exactly what kind of story she's trying to tell about these musical icons and why those stories are so important today. I have been immersed in your incredible Genius Aretha project since I got the screeners, eight episodes, eight Mm -hmm. hours Mm -hmm. of what I thought was an incredibly real feeling biopic on this legend that we love so much. And I thought I knew so much about and through watching this project realized, man, there was so much that we just didn't know. There's so much we don't know about her. Yeah. Yeah. Talk to me about what did you approach this project 
knowing for sure about Aretha. What was your perspective going in? And did you have a clear picture of the story that you wanted to tell? Yeah, going in for sure, I knew that I was going to focus on Aretha Franklin's genius. And as writers, Courtney, we know, you know, we're helped a lot by the title. So, for example, with United States versus Billie Holiday, which I also wrote, I knew that I was going to focus on the United States versus Billie Holiday. <laughs> and that's a title that I chose myself. Genius Aretha, I inherited, you know, from mm. the franchise. But it was very helpful because I knew that I was going to be focusing on Aretha Franklin's genius and the ways in which she continually throughout her whole career demonstrated what we would consider to be just genius moments. And that is so evident even from the very first episode where we see her meeting this new band who's going to help her record some tracks, a new team, and she's kind of rearranging things and saying, I want to make it sound like this. And it's very clear, very quick, that this is not just a singer. This was not just a woman with a voice right. that could make the walls shake. She was a right. true musician. Right. Exactly. Brilliant pianist. A lot of people don't know that. And she had a great ear also. And a really strong sense of what she wanted in the studio. The music she made, it's no small thing. Again, to remember that like, in episode one, it's Muscle Shoals. It's 1967. And a lot of us, a lot of the viewers weren't alive, weren't born yet in 1967. But just to remind folks that Alabama in 1967 was run by George Wallace and George Wallace's wife. You know, segregation now, segregation forever, that guy. And the ripple effect that that caused throughout the culture, especially in Alabama. So when she walks in that studio and meets for the first time the musicians she is going to play with who are all white and all men. And they're going to do what? They're going to make soul music. It is a genius moment for her to not only bring them together and encourage them to play beautiful music, but also make some records, make Never Loved a Man. It has those genius characteristics, iconic, groundbreaking, paradigm shifting, something that lasts long beyond the time in which it was made. One thing that I noticed in both the United States versus Billie Holiday and Genius Aretha is the fact that these incredible women were surrounded by these trash bag men who could have, I think, derailed their progress. But somehow, even in those fragile moments, these women still seemed in control to an extent. I would imagine that Aretha might have been scared for herself. Mm -hmm. While some people, some culture critics are saying, gee, you're showing a violence against women. Why are you showing that? My answer to those culture critics is, why is it happening? Yeah. I mean, instead of criticizing the truth teller who is endeavoring to invite us to look at some of these issues in society, these things that are happening to women and Black people and whatever, instead of critiquing the folks who are marching down the street saying Black Lives Matter, why are we critiquing them? Why aren't we critiquing the source of those demonstrations? I got off track a little bit, but yeah, there's parts of Aretha's journey when she's a little girl and she's out on the gospel circuit, which is a very much an adult world, and she's a little girl. I'm scared for her. I'm worried for her. I was certainly scared for her as a little girl. And that's another thing that I wanted to speak to you about. I spoke to Courtney about oh. playing C.L. Franklin. And I think like some other people, certainly ones who have done research about Aretha Franklin, I oh. went in with some preconceived notions about who I thought, how I thought I already felt about C.L., about oh. how he was as a father, about how he was as a civil rights leader and as a preacher. Mm -hmm. I spoke to Courtney about 
he did partake and we see him in the show partaking in alcohol and women and kind of wild nights. I thought I would go in assuming that I thought he was a bad guy and watching Courtney humanize that character. I didn't leave this project necessarily feeling that way about him. What he said to me is that you can't look at the past with today's lens. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I wondered for you, what was your approach? What were your thoughts about CL when you went in to write his character and decide what kind of man you wanted to represent there? Sure. Well, for all the characters, I really worked very hard to humanize all of them, to humanize Aretha Franklin. I mean, what most of us know about Aretha Franklin are a bunch of labels. She's a diva. She's the queen of shade. And yeah, she's the queen of soul. What does that mean, really? And then we know her quirks. She doesn't like air conditioning. So there are a lot of little sound bitey things, but I worked very hard to humanize Aretha, CL, Ermine, Carol, you know, all, every single character that we had in the show to humanize a black character, a black person is still in 2021 a political act. Yes. I'm just going to say that. I'll say that again to humanize. A black person, even in 2021, is still a political act. So by humanizing C.L. Franklin, we're not just reducing him to a lot of like sound bites and headlines. You know what I'm saying? Nor are we doing that to Aretha. So that was my intent with every single character across the board. There have always been murmurs, theories that C.L. might have fathered Aretha's child when she was 12. And What I saw in the scene where we learned that 12-year-old Aretha is pregnant, what I noticed was what I didn't see. And what I didn't see was shock and horror from her father when he learned that she was pregnant. And I also didn't hear him say, who did this to you, the way that her grandmother did. And I wondered for you if that was a conscious choice Mm -hmm. not to take a position on that theory? Or did you not even think about it? And I'm reading it. No, we're not interested. We're not interested in that. And especially because Aretha's story later discussed some young men who she had relations with. So I wasn't interested in discussing any stories like you discussed. I didn't see any evidence of that storyline. So it didn't interest me. You know what I mean? Got it. Um, What was interesting, when C.L. Franklin says he's not shocked, because he knows that the road was a wild place. And he knows that he was not as protective of his little girls he might have been. Mm-hmm. Because he was having his own good time. His shock is only because he knows he's at fault. And we've heard the question just technically, story-wise. The viewer has already heard those questions asked once mm-hmm. by grandmother in the seconds before. And then we hear his side of it. The road is a wild place and he's sheepish and she slaps him. So we get the whole picture that way. Also, there's no shaming of the child. I mean, for me, in my experience in the Black family, there's more of an embracing of the situation than a blaming, shaming game going on. And that's how I experienced it. I know that her family, Aretha's family, was very supportive of her partially, which is why her genius flowered as it did, because they really gathered around her and each other constantly to be as supportive as they could be. That's kind of where I was going with that. I didn't know. I didn't intend to. You didn't intend to leave it open. And that's important. I'm so glad that we discussed that because I think art, of course, is always subject to interpretation. And I think for people who go in thinking that about him might think that that scene doesn't confirm it, but also doesn't make it impossible to read that into this project. 
even if, for example, our character had said, who did this to you? And da, 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 da. People who want to believe what they want to believe are going to say, ah, he's saying that because he doesn't want it. Da, 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 da. I mean, if one comes in with their mind already made up, then how clearly are you going to see what's before them? I came into the Aretha Franklin story with an open mind and an open heart and a desire to demonstrate her genius and serve the queen. And you did. You absolutely did. Why was Cynthia the right choice for your Aretha? What made her? Because she can sing so pretty. (laughs) Because she sings beautifully. I had seen her on Broadway in The Color Purple and was blown away by her performance. And she has that quiet strength that Aretha has. She has a real strength. And I thought, yeah, that's going to be really helpful for us as we discover this character and create this character, you know? Absolutely. She did so great in it. You're someone who I'm constantly referencing, or I think really in a sense, whose work I'm constantly measuring other people's against, because I think that one consistency in your entire body of work is exactly what you spoke about before, is that revolutionary feeling you get when you see a Black story and a Black person humanized, whether it's a child, a man, a hero, a villain a superstar like Aretha, it feels very authentic. We saw it in the United States versus Billie Holiday, and we've seen it in really everything that you've done. And I want to know for you, having been a Black woman navigating this industry for as long as you have, does it now feel any easier? Does it feel like less of a battle in 2021 than maybe it did when you started out to be able to tell those kinds of authentic stories and be allowed to be as real as you are? I love your question, Courtney. No, it doesn't feel any easier. I mean, yeah, it does not. The problems might have become more advanced. I mean, for example, you were alive when Obama was president. And did your friends ask, what do you think, Courtney? Do we live in a post-racial society now? And right, did you laugh? I mean, I did. And they all looked at me like, nah, you're just a cynic, you know? I was like, what do you mean post-racial? Still black. (laughs) Still black and we're still in America. So, and we haven't really taken those steps. So it's still the industry. Its job is to control the narrative about black people. Yes, I'm saying that. I mean, there are a lot of great people in the business. I'm not discounting that. There are a lot of great allies in the business. I'm not discounting that. But as we climb a little bit higher, the air might be getting a little rarer. The money might be getting a little more juicy, which means the knives are coming out a lot quicker. You can't always count on the allies that you think you should be having on any given day, on any given project. It's like playing Zelda or whatever. I mean, you play video games, you get to that next level and it's like, oh, I'm on the next level. But does that mean it's easier? No. Susan Laurie, thank you so much for your candor as always. Thank you for sharing your incredible talents with us. Thanks, Courtney. Thanks for listening to Acting Up. If you liked what you heard, please give us a five-star review and subscribe to the show wherever you listen to your podcasts. Please email all questions, suggestions, and compliments to podcasts at thegrio.com. Acting Up is brought to you by The Grio and executive produced by Courtney Wills and produced by Kevin Y. Brown and Cameron Blackwell. For more with me and Acting Up, check us out on Instagram at actingup.pod. 